My name is Elizabeth Evans, and I'm a homeschooling mom to four kids, ages two through nine, and we are learning how to make joy normal. My name is Bonnie Landry, and I want to welcome you to season two of our podcast, Make Joy Normal. I am a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma. I've been homeschooling for 30 years. My kids are ages 14 to 33. I only have one at home now. I'm a speaker, a writer, a blogger, and I guess we're podcasters now, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm an advocate of joy, so welcome to our podcast. Good evening, ladies. How are you? Good, how are you? <laughs> really good. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce you all to Crystal, our guest this evening. And Crystal is somebody that I met in an interesting way. We actually met in Houston, but Crystal is a Canadian mom who actually is from Calgary, but both being oil towns, I imagine that's what led you to be working in, in Houston at the time. I was speaking at a conference there, Crystal and I connected. We had uh, quite a, a bit of conversation for a number of months then COVID hit we completely lost contact and for whatever reason we were both on each other's minds just recently and so we connected again that was lovely so what we're going to do uh, this evening is be talking about classical education which is a love of both of ours so just a couple of announcements first and then I'll introduce Crystal to you Thank you. We have had just this unbelievable number of new subscribers because I think I've been asking people to subscribe. When you subscribe or leave reviews or whether they're just star reviews or actual verbal reviews, it makes our podcast easier to find. And so there's just been this incredible new sort of road of traffic into our podcast, which is great. And lots of really lovely messages from people that they just found us. So thank you for, for anybody who supported us in that way. Remember, you can submit your questions to us via my Facebook page, Make Joy Normal, or via my uh, website, www.bonnielandry.ca, or Instagram Messenger as well, uh, works as well. And I, I just discovered this, quite a few people who don't, who listen to this podcast who don't realize I have another podcast for Catholic moms. So my podcast is called Martha Martha, Distracted by Many Things, and it's sort of usually five minutes of little um, encouragement in the morning. So if you have not checked that out, you might want to check that out. And now we will move on to Crystal, who is a lovely mom. She's been homeschooling for 10 plus years. You have four kids, right, Crystal? I do, yeah. Okay, just four kids. Crystal and I really connected because of our love or of both classical and sort of organic education. And we kind of got each other right away. So that was a really beautiful thing. Crystal's really passionate about classical education and loves to share that information with others. She's very inspirational and informative. And what our plan is, I will give some information about this at the end of the uh, of this episode, is we're going to actually do a series of three workshops on classical education that people can dial into if they want to over the course of sort of July, August, September. Uh, I don't have dates for you yet. By, by the time this show airs, I will have dates and I'll put it in the show notes. Crystal has this quote, well-cultivated educators result in flourishing students. And so as a, as a person who influences, encourages, and inspires other moms, that sums up what she's doing. I will get you to tell your, a little bit more about yourself to us, a little bit about your family and what you do. 
Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I am, I'm a mom of four children and I've been married for 17 years. And yes, we move a lot in our 17, (laughs) in our 17 years of marriage, we've moved, oh gosh, probably like 12 times, 11 times. And so it's, it's a lot sometimes because of transfers, sometimes because situations change or, or different things like that. So our biggest move took us to Scotland, to the United Kingdom in 2013. My oldest was, I think, grade four. (laughs) And then I had one in grade two and I had a toddler and I had one on the way. So I had my last child in Scotland. So (laughs) yeah, we moved to Scotland in September and she was born in December. And my husband traveled a lot while we were there. So he was gone. Ah, at least 14 days out of the month and not even consecutive days. It was kind of three days here, two days there. And so it was really kind of chaotic. I think that's where I really hit this frustration stage in my homeschool life. And that's where things started changing for me. We had been told that we were going to be there for five years, uh, three to five years, and less than two years, we were transferred to Houston. So in July of 2015, we were transferred to Houston. And and that was an interesting experience as well. There's, it's really vibrant. Catholic homeschool, or not just Catholic, but just homeschool community. Yeah, and, I noticed um, that. It was incredible. Yeah, it's very vibrant. So I went from Scotland where, gosh, I had met just a handful of homeschoolers in Scotland. And then I got to Houston. This is just the, the despair, like the difference is I got to Houston and went to my first conference and there was like 10,000 people there. <laughs> and I was wow. like, whoa, that's crazy. And so, yeah, so it was really big. And I really loved it. I really thrived there. So, and then within less than two years, again, we were transferred back to Canada. So here we are. I'm a reader. I'm an avid reader. I love reading. I'm part of two book clubs and read a lot. I'm an educator. I'm a writing coach. I'm a cradle Catholic. I'm an emerging gardener. I'm a lover of life. Like I just, I I take it by the horns and just go with it. So that's really who I am. I've always tried to pursue, um, truth, beauty, and goodness in all that I do. So, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, welcome. We're so excited to have this conversation. Just a, a note, in the next couple of episodes, next couple of weeks, I'm going to release an episode where I'm interviewing two ladies that I, one of them I know quite well and the other one I have not met yet, uh, about the vibe of homeschooling in the UK. I'm super excited about that because it's it's like it was 25 years ago in Canada, mm-hmm. it sounds like, from what I can glean from these ladies, but I think it'd be a really interesting episode. Okay, so where do we start, Elizabeth? Before I ask my first question, I have to say that I am very into Scotland history right now. I'm actually reading Outlander and just oh, yeah. in love. <laughs> so... I think that it's fascinating that you lived there and I'd imagine it would be very hard to leave. Was it? Or were you just so overwhelmed that you were ready to go? Oh gosh. I call it like the Valley of dry bones for me spiritually, honestly, because it was so hard, but you know, I fell in love with Scotland. It is the most beautiful climate. Honestly, if you're a Canadian, (laughs) I loved the climate and the history there was phenomenal you have this beautiful beautiful terrain these lovely mountains that aren't like the Rockies so you can get to the top of them and you feel (laughs) kind of accomplished you know and we were really fortunate we lived in a small just outside of a small village and we lived in what was called a steading and so it's an old farm 
basically uh-huh. like an old oh, barn God. yeah that, that they converted sense. so our house was over 150 years old and it was made of stone and i've never lived in anything older than like i don't know 30 years old <laughs> yeah. we're in canada right and i'd never really and especially western canada we'd never even i'd never even really seen any old churches so that was really a fantastic experience for me so my heart is really in scotland yeah. read about it learn about it go there it's just and the people are Fantastic. They're not like overly friendly like Canadians. But <laughs> I walked up, my first experience in the grocery store is, you know, I talked to the cashier, hey, how are you doing? How are things going today? And she looked at me like I had like 10 heads. She's like, <laughs> paper or plastic? I'm like, um, paper. <laughs> but once you get to know them, they are so fun and they're just really great people. Like they're, you know, they're not, they don't have the same culture we do as in gathering the, you know, the people together. So uh, in the same way with friendliness, but, but they're great people. I love the Scots. Yeah. Very cool. Can you define classical education? What's the goal? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think more than anything, when we're talking about classical education, I think the first step is really to ask ourselves, how do we view education itself? Like what is the purpose? What is its nature? What, what is it trying to do? And so uh, you can talk to a lot of different people who have lots of different ideas about what education is. And primarily, from my experience, what education really is about is the flourishing of the human person. There's different ways that you can say it. You can say making good citizens of this world and the next. You can say um, living according to things that are good and right. So there's lots of different ways to define education. There's also people who will define education as more skills-based, more development of the the human faculties um, and really compartmentalizing the human person into just one part of who we really are. My first step is always asking myself, well, what, how do I view education in the first place? And so my definition of education really is the flourishing of the human person. And then from there, I can start to unpack, well, how do we best do that? And there's lots of opinions again <laughs> about how best to do that. In my experience, in my research, I found that classical education really gives the best foundation, foundational information, the purpose of it, the nature of it. Classical education really unpacks that. So when you talk about classical education, some people talk about a liberal education. I'm just going to throw out some words because sometimes we it, it helps us to get some context um, as a springboard. So some people talk about it as a, a, a liberal education, a liberal arts education with the great books. It can be just a, an education of ordering loves. I'm sure some of you have heard that uh, through Charlotte Mason, the ordering of loves. But really classical education its main goal is to look at the human person for what they are, where they come from, like what is, what is the nature of the human person and how best to perfect that? Not in the modern sense of perfection, but in the sense of how best do we develop to, to make flourish the faculties and all of the parts of the human person. When we first start talking about classical education, I think it's really important for people to ask themselves, how do I view education and what are we trying to achieve with education? Because oftentimes in, in my experience, I've found that we start with the practices, right? And we start with 
well, I like the idea that I have an academically gifted child and I have a, a mode or a method that can support that. Or I like the idea of Socratic dialogue and so classical education will work for me. Where those are really practices, like the, the actual things that we do to bring about classical education. But classical education, um, I'm going to read you a definition out of this book because they have a really good definition. And, What's the name um, of the book, just so we the, know? Yeah. Okay. So it's called The Liberal Arts Tradition by Kevin Clark and okay, Ravi. Put it in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. And Ravi Scott James. I was going to mention just, uh, I was going to give you some resources about that, about some different things that, that people can start diving into. Okay. So let me just get to that page there. Classical education is grounded in piety. A classical education and they're talking mainly in a, a Christian context here, just to give it uh, uh, some context. Sure, yeah. Okay. So a classical education is the transmission of the culture of the church through a faculty of friends who love truth by cultivating virtue in their students, in body, heart, and mind, and nurturing their love for wisdom and faithful service to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I love that because often, oftentimes um, we like to try and distill and simplify. Mm -hmm. And I know this one is quite lengthy, but I love it because it, it has some great things for us to unpack when we're starting to actually really think deeply about what classical education is. Yeah, and it's hard to define education in a sentence, right? So the, yeah. the fact that they've taken the time to flesh out a philosophy, an ideology, to do that in, in a few words or one sentence is really difficult to do. What I wanted to ask was sort of what, in your, can you sort of lay out for our listeners, what are the basics of a classical education? Mm -hmm. Okay, so taking from Kevin Clark and uh, Ravi Jain, they talk about the first kind of primary thing that you're going to start with is what's called piety. And so piety is really the the duty and the love and the respect towards God and others. Everything needs to come out of that idea that we come from a place of our duties, our loves, and the respect that is due to God and to others. And to like, so in others is authority as well. And if we just remember that in classical education, we want to be founded on that. Then the two part, there's, I'm going to go with a, a really well-known part of classical education, and that's the liberal arts. And oftentimes people will, will think about the liberal arts as the trivium or the quadrivium. And the trivium is grammar, logic, rhetoric, and the quadrivium is mathematics, music, geometry, and astronomy. Oftentimes we've heard a lot of that lately and within the last, you know, 15 years of kind of the the rediscovery or, you know, the, the rebirth of classical education. But again, that's just a piece of the puzzle. I think there's been a lot of work and development and growth in the liberal arts for classical education. But again, it's just a piece of the puzzle. So some of the other pieces of the puzzle, so that we're attending to not just the intellectual virtues, right? Because mm -hmm. the trivium and quadrivium really attend to the intellectual virtue. Attending to those other parts that Clark and Jane talked about is the, the heart, right? And the body. Mm -hmm. And so the other two are gymnastics and not in the formal term of like, you know, like an Olympian, <laughs> an Olympic gymnast, but in right. the sense that 
we are we are unified in body and soul, and so we have to allow for the development and the perfection of the body as well. And so I think it's like you can think of it as like gymnastics is like the training of the body, basically. Okay. Right. So gymnastics and, doesn't mean what we the narrow sort of vision that we have of gymnastics. That's like right. The balance beam. And the- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, gymnastics gotcha. is you know if we think of. You know, a little ch- a child who's learning how to walk. They're learning to to perfect their their physical capabilities, right? right. And so we are we are doing gymnastics at that uh, in the mm-hmm. traditional sense. We are training the body. Okay, so th- in the training of the body, does it also include things like self control? Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Because when we start to train the body, we actually start to incorporate discipline, right? Mm-hmm. We learn self-control. Like a child learning to walk, it's so fascinating to watch them because they they have this wonder and this awe and this desire. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a great hallmark for us to remember that as educators, that our students should never, ever lose that. Mm-hmm. They should never lose that wonder and awe and desire. And so, and and as adults, as parents, we love to watch them when they're first taking their steps. We don't, uh, we allow them to fall safely, right? Mm -hmm. We allow them to develop their muscles. We allow them to learn to, you know, use the the coffee table to go about. As educators, we provide them with the the proper environment that can support their development of that body, body, right? Of the training of the body. And one of the great things about thinking about classical education in this way is that the virtues that we develop in training our body actually help to train our soul, mm-hmm. actually help in the virtues that we aspire to for our soul. When we're, and we notice this in Olympians, right? When they have uh, worked so hard to get where they are and, and the dedication and the time and the energy and the training, they um, generally, a lot of times, go on after their athletic career to do phenomenal things mm-hmm. because they've learnt those habits and those virtues. Mm-hmm. And so the training of the body is a really important part. And unfortunately, with the the you know the rediscovery of classical education, it's kind of been overlooked in some ways. And so it's really important that we do attend to it and say that this is just as important as the intellectual virtues, mm-hmm. the physical virtues. You know, this has come up quite uh, quite often at uh, just during our podcast, but it's something that that I've spoken lots of times at uh, in given you know giving talks at conferences and whatnot. That the idea of that a person can become a more a mom can say yell less or get mad less or make threats less when when she fasts and fasting can look different ways but it be when you develop self-control in one area of your life you you learn how to develop self-control in other areas of your life to me that that's just such an obvious thing that we're so it just it spills over what where we train ourselves in one area we it, it spills over into other areas of our life mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah and it's really important like as young moms or as moms who have little ones we allow them and we, we facilitate the training of their body, right? Mm-hmm. We make sure they're getting enough food. We're gonna make sure they're getting enough sleep. We make sure they're getting the right type of exercise. If they have, you know, if we notice that they have something wrong with their feet, we take them to the doctor, right? We, we do mm-hmm. things to make sure we're facilitating that. But what's interesting is that a lot of times when we get to kind of preschool, kindergarten, grade one, grade two, that kind of 
falls by the wayside. Like we still do it, but we don't pay as much attention to it. Where as we grow and as our, you know, as we grow as human beings, it's just as important, just as important as the intellectual virtues. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have to keep making a plan for that because that's the one that falls by the wayside. So for sure. Yeah. Even yeah. In my own life, that's that mm-hmm. absolutely something that was always had to be bringing back up to, to a priority. Right. But it was, it was kind of one of the first things to go recycling and physical. Activity. <laughs> Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I can't recycle anymore. I just had a baby. <laughs> That's the least of my worries. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh yeah my for gosh. sure. So going from that is really interesting because this is another foundational aspect of classical education that we start off really well in it when we're starting off as parents, but then it kind of falls by the wayside as well. And that is what we call, or what you know, Scott and Jane has called music education. And again, we like to think of music education as, well, let's learn the piano, let's sing a song, let's, you know, do these, uh, let's really compartmentalize it and shrink it down. But when they talk about music education, they bring it back more to the original term, which is of the muses, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of like from the Greek mythology, like of the muses, well, who were the muses? Well, it includes like poetry, it includes drama, it includes fine arts, it includes literature, it includes myth, it, all these wonderful things that we do when our children are younger. What do we do? We sing twinkle, twinkle, little star, right? Mm-hmm. We sing these beautiful little nursery rhymes. And then we get to like grade one or grade two or even higher up and we don't sing anymore. We don't, we don't chant anymore. We don't read aloud the, the good literature that's out there. Right. We don't read so poetry. Creativity. When they're talking music, they're talking more about the fine arts, but even bigger than that, yeah. right? Creativity. Absolutely. And they give it another, another name. They call it the imagination, right? Mm, okay. And I'm sure we've heard this before, the moral, building the moral imagination. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the musical education does, is the idea that if we um, order our loves within our soul on good food, then when we're learning the intellectual arts, it's not going to be so difficult for us because we'll have that intuition, right? We'll have that, mm-hmm. that tendency or that desire to go towards that which is true, beautiful, and good. But we can't stop. We can't stop the musical education. It has to continue because, well, not just because there's such great literature, drama, poetry, music out there, but because we don't stop growing in our, our moral imagination, mm-hmm. right? I really believe that the moment that we as adults stop seeking out a classical education for ourselves is the day that we start to go backwards. Mm-hmm. So the day that we stop seeking out the gymnastics for ourselves, the musical education for ourselves, the intellectual mm-hmm. arts, those kind of things. This is where my passion for really helping educators to understand you have to really work on this in your own life because it's going to, when it becomes a natural part of your life, it's going to flow out mm-hmm. into the curriculum. And we'll and, need to spend some time on this when we do the mm-hmm. three workshops. We'll need to spend some time on that because I'm sure parents are thinking, I can't add one more thing. But it's not a matter of adding. In fact, in, a lot of times it's a matter of subtracting. <laughs> really is and it's a matter of attention where does my attention go where do mm-hmm. where do I attend to yeah and I just wanted to to tell you this um Aristotle he said musical education develops intuition which forming the heart and the moral imagination will continue to give a sense of wonder 
and towards the affections. So which is really beautiful. That's not a direct quote, but that's generally what he said. And it's, mm. it's, I was really fascinated by that because I often hear, especially now in the, in the education circles, wonder, how do we bring back wonder? How do we attend to wonder? Right. And, and this is a really big concern. And I think it's because we've ignored or let fall by the wayside mm -hmm. when we get so busy checking boxes. Right. Can you repeat the quote? Yeah. So Aristotle, he basically said, musical education develops intuition, forming the heart and the moral imagination, moving us towards a sense of wonder and the affections. Beautiful. Yeah. So again, it's not a direct quote. I, I'm not the greatest at direct quotes, but, but I kind of get a <laughs> sense of what they say and then I throw it back out there. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're probably not really up to Aristotle tonight anyway. So uh, yeah, no doubt. Right? <laughs> so one thing that you can think about is uh, gymnastics just as, and not to distill it, but sometimes as I believe that it's important to have things to hang your hats on. So it's not to right. simplify things, but gymnastics as training the body and music as the education in wonder. Okay. Right? So yeah. how, and how do we do that? That's the, the biggest thing that we can do as educators is to say, I believe that's important to train the body. How am I doing that? Yeah. Right. Um, I believe it's important to foster and educate in wonder. How am I doing that? Right. right. It doesn't have to be really complicated. It can be really simple, but it doesn't always mean it's easy. Simple yeah. Thing really easy. yeah. I had a thought and also a question. My thought was when you were talking about wonder and, and kids kind of, how do we bring that about? And I realized it's something that my kids are really good at. Mm -hmm. However, when they are around other kids, like neighborhood kids or kids from school systems, not, not to necessarily talk negatively uh, about those children, but it's when kids are around peers who have kind of started to think, well, wonder isn't cool. I want to get all of my entertainment from TV or video games and all of that kind of stuff, that's when the wonder kind of fades is what I've noticed. Mm -hmm. And then those kids tend to influence other kids. I know sometimes we'll have a neighbor or come to my house because she's got, you know, different toys and stuff. And it's like, that's something I don't hear from my kids unless they're around her. Mm -hmm you know, or other kids who are kind of giving them this idea that boredom is something that's just innate. It's okay to be bored sometimes, don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. But with that boredom comes a spark in imagination if you let it linger for a bit. Absolutely. So I, yeah. uh, I want to speak to two things with that. I think, first of all, it's really important to understand that we are born to wonder. We are born, um, when we're born, the, the moment we start to really, you know, our, our eyesight starts to develop, our hearing starts to develop as infants, we start wondering. Wondering, we don't grow out of wonder ever. Wonder is usually lost, right? It's misplaced. And so I like to think of like the divine comedy. And and here's here he comes and he, he meets Virgil. And he's like, in the, you know, in the, the darkness of the woods at the very beginning, right? And who does he meet? He meets a great teacher and brings him out of the darkness. It, it's not easy, but it, it's possible. And so I think that just really believing and knowing that wonder does not is not something taught. It's mm -hmm. something that is a part of who we are. And sometimes we lose that, not in the sense that it's gone, but in the sense that we no longer recognize it in ourselves. There's, I would love to do like a whole thing on 
attend, like attending to wonder and encouraging wonder. Like how do we bring that, that wonder back alive in ourselves? But I, I also wanted to say that part of the problem with wonder is that we have to be formed and rooted in that piety. Piety, again, is that duty, love, and respect that is owed. And so our, our duty, love, and respect that is owed, let's say to our parents. Dr. Gordon Neufeld has done some great work on this about attachment, making sure that your, your children are attached to you. And why is that? Because it's their, their duty, it's their love, it's the, the respect, because we have something that we can offer them. And so a lot of times I think in our modern world and in our uh, utilitarian education, if we really think about it, we no longer want to ascribe to duty towards our parents, even towards authority, like our teachers. We no longer trust them. Critical thinking is so big that, oh no, you can't believe anything. You can't do anything. You have to do it all on your own. Well, that's really overwhelming. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is really make sure that we're attending to the piety within our children, helping them to understand that there is a necessity, there is the right order of things in duty, love, and respect. And if that is formed well within them, they can encounter children, they can encounter friends, but they're going to keep coming back to that. Why? Because the human person wants to flourish. The human person does not want to wither and die. Right? And they want to connect, right? And so when a connection between parent and child is healthy, then the child has an, a better understanding innately. It doesn't even have to be explained to them. They just understand their relationship to peers is different than and less important than their uh, connection with their parent, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, providing that rich environment too. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to just make a comment about one, one of the things that I feel like has really undermined wonder in our children and in our adults as well. I mean, we, we should be wondering all our life is hurry. Spend so much time hurrying our children culturally activities and in you know getting out the door and all the the various things we have to do we hurry their minds we hurry their in and to watch a little child just be completely enraptured in something is just such a beautiful gift to be able to give them you know and and when we can let them do that most of the time of course there's times when we have to get in the car right when there's a yeah, doctor's appointment or something but if they spend their life that way that's going to kill wonder for sure absolutely and i think that i was just reading this book and it's called lost in wonder and i i'm, I'm not through it yet but it's really beautiful and one of the first things she says is grab yourself a magnifying glass get a magnifying glass and carry it with you because she said if you want to wonder about things you have to stop and look and so this is one thing that you can do Elizabeth with your children is start to train them give them the skills that they need to interact with those neighborhood kids to say wait a minute here like let's look through the magnifying glass isn't that cool like my kids were so fascinated when they learned that they could start leaves on fire with the magnifying glass in the sun like <laughs> we give them parameters right you know like if it was a neighborhood kid I would be like okay let's we're gonna talk to your mom about this to teach that we're gonna do this but there are rules around these things teaching your children to to teach you about wonder and allowing yourself to be the learner as well to push you to the learning edge for your mm -hmm. children to push you to the learning edge so that they understand that oh my gosh I can do this with my peers 
I can push my peers to the learning edge with the beautiful things that I know, the beautiful things that I understand, the beautiful things I see. And I think that that's one thing that we as parents, especially homeschool parents, because we spend so much time with our children, we can get busy, like you said, Bonnie, and Mm -hmm. hurried, and we actually don't allow our children to push us to the learning edge, to say, oh my gosh, like that is something I totally didn't know. (laughs) Right? Fabulous. And the greatest virtue is humility, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be humble in these things. I'm just going to make a little shout out here too, that when your kids are seven or eight or nine, or your kids would probably be the perfect age right now, Elizabeth, your son, your son's nine, is to invest in a microscope. Oh yeah, that's on our list for this year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) To even my five-year-old grandson, you know, he was over this year when Lucy, Lydia was doing experiments with her science and, and he would be completely enraptured with the microscope and of course now they come with screens so you don't have to look through an eyepiece it's not frustrating in the same way that it was years ago and you can hook it to your computer so they can actually see it on a computer screen oh that's what a place and you've heard you i think probably crystal you've heard me use this analogy of putting a slice of onion under a microscope Mm. i'm using the analogy with dictation or with five minute education this is how we can learn a thing Watch what a kid does when you put a slice of onion under a microscope. They can't believe what they're seeing, you know, or a bug or pond water or whatever it is you put under the microscope. Could do that with other things. You can do that with a language. You can do that with music, you know, or art. You know, let's look really, really closely at this. And it just turns them on. I can see that with neighborhood kids. You want to see a bug under a microscope? Ew, you know, it's gross. It's disgusting. It has hairs on its legs, whatever. But what an amazing gift to turn wonder on. And even the opposite, like a telescope. The idea that it's not just micro, but it's macro, mm-hmm. right? And that the, the, the amazing things that we can see out um, in, in, the, in the universe. And, and I love what Andrew Kern says. He's from the Searcy Institute. And he said, you know, if you really want to kill the wonder in someone, he tells this story. He's like, okay, so give them a dog, right? They're all excited. Then slice the dog up and let's look at its parts, (laughs) right? He's like, you want to kill the wonder? No, you give them a dog and you let them understand how a dog works and licks and plays and poops and pees and barks and bites and, right? You, You let them interact with these things before you start, dissecting them or pulling them apart to say, well, why does the dog bark? Like, why can't it speak? Really, that's, that's a a good, you know, broad way to look at wonder is we don't want to dissect things and make so torn apart, unconnected. First, we want to interact. And that's where a microscope, a magnifying glass, a telescope can do those type of things. I think really just uh, being full of wonder yourself is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to, Elizabeth, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump a couple of questions because I, I'm concerned that we're going to run out of time. And so I want to jump to the question that I think I think would be on most parents' mind. In fact, I just had a conversation with my daughter about tonight's episode and she, you know, her understanding of classical was they think people think rigorous. When people hear classical, they think rigorous. Can you speak to this? Because we are primarily classically educating in our family and always have, but I have a very organic approach, very relationship oriented approach to education, and yet also very classical. So can you speak to that? Because I think that that's a really common misconception. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I think it has to do with our, a lot of our misunderstanding about language. 
and where the language comes from. So if we think of the word uh, rigorous, what are some other words that we think of that are similar to that, that we can hear that that word, that root word in? Yeah. What are, rigid. What are rigid. Yeah. Rigor mortis. <laughs> right? I was going to say that first. I thought, oh, maybe that's uh, not appropriate. No, absolutely. So really, what is the root, right? The, the root really is stiff, firm, rigor. Rigorous is not necessarily the appropriate word to use. I think a better word to use is discipline. Because discipline comes from the idea that we are being disciples, we are being mm-hmm. trained. We are following. When we think, a lot of times people will speak to classical education as rigorous because we will hear a couple generations back, they will say, well, all we did was rote learning and all we did, it was so nasty. It was just memorization. Like they, they really had a, a skewed classical education. The problem is, is that in the, the early 1900s to, I would say probably, you know, I would say the last really classical schools were probably in the 50s. But what happens when anything is dying out, right? What happens to a civilization when it starts to die out? We try and hang on to the fruits. We try yeah. and just grasp on to those so dying grabbing, fruits. grabbing. Yeah. yeah, we're just like grabbing. <laughs> no, and no. so this is what happened. And this is where you got the teachers with the rulers and, you know, rote memory and really rigorous and disciplined, like not disciplined in the negative form, but disciplined as in like, you're doing punishment. this wrong punishment. Yeah. That's a yeah. better word. At, at that point in history, like in the in the early 1900s, because classical education was being choked out, really, it was being um, sucked dry. We were trying to hold on to the fruits instead mm-hmm. of really going back to the roots. The roots really are about the flourishing of the human person, and nothing, nothing rigorous, like stiff, firm, rigid, ever flourishes a human being. ever (laughs) like maybe a brace at some time but that's temporary (laughs) so i think that just looking at it that way that that really is not necessarily an honest take on on right what classical education is trying now classical education is like i said can be simple but not easy Mm -hmm. right it can be really hard to attend How easy is it for us to attend to things? We get so distracted by our phones. We get so distracted by, oh, this curriculum. I've heard so many parents say this, like they've got, you know, all these boxed curriculums in their basement and they don't want to sell them because, you know, it didn't work for them, but they'll maybe come back to it. Mm -hmm. Invested a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of thought into this curriculum. And for whatever reason, it didn't fit their family. And I think that's a big part of it is that because we're, we get hemmed in by the curriculum. Yeah. And so instead of having the curriculum support what we're trying to do, we, we're boxed in by the curriculum, right? So when we're thinking in terms of uh, the discipline of classical education, what we're really trying to do is to flourish the human person. And so what does that take, right? Well, it's going to take, uh, we have to learn to attend two things. People who, who want to flourish, we need to attend two things. We need to, to strengthen and develop our faculty of attention, How do we attend to things? The other one is memory. People, like they used to memorize the Iliad. I can't even memorize a song. (laughs) And so that's what I'm talking about, that that discipline. Uh, as As human beings, we have absolutely the capacity 
to memorize mm -hmm. the Iliad. Right? You know, we were just uh, t talking about this this morning. Uh, while we were having coffee was the idea of memory and all, my kids all have really good memories I have a very very poor memory we did zero memory work not valued not important not pursued in my education my kids did memory work not because I was foisting it upon them but because they did dictation they did speech arts everything they do they memorized it I was blown away at the way they can remember things you know when they were quite young but I mean what an advantage in university and college that's been mm -hmm. and it's not anything they're trying to do they just have good memories it's incredible another thing that we are really trying to do is um, to be able to make connections right mm -hmm. that's a really important one in classical education is how uh, learning to ask the right questions so that we can make connections like if we look at classical education say yeah we want to be very disciplined in developing these these human faculties hmm. because uh, those are the ones that are going to help us the most flourish when we are presented with uh, the intellectual arts or whether it's um, you know music education or physical education those are the ones that are going to help us the most mm -hmm. and and what's interesting especially if we can learn to really connect well right that really starts formally in the trivium in the liberal arts in logic making connections, learning to mm -hmm. make connections. But it actually uh, paves the way for philosophy mm -hmm. because philosophy is the unity of knowledge. Basically, like I'm not talking about philosophy that we talk about it now, but more the philosophy as in the unity of knowledge and um, the, the, the way or the manner of being. This paves the way. And that's another kind of fundamental thing um, about classical education is uh, we work through gymnastics and music education, the liberal arts, towards philosophy and theology. Knowledge of ourselves, knowledge of the physical world, knowledge of the social world, right? Social sciences. Mm -hmm. And that's basically how they frame philosophy in natural science, more, sorry, natural philosophy, moral philosophy, and metaphysics divine philosophy right? right so metaphysics is the study of being we need to know ourselves right whether you just read help you know self-help book <laughs> you're starting down that path in a moment i just want to talk about resources for a second I want to see, um elizabeth do you have any questions before we sort of go into a few resources before we wrap up no go for it Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to mention this resource first because I think I'm going to read off the workshop descriptions that we're going to do, uh -huh. uh, the dates of which will be in the show notes. It's going to be three one-hour workshops on grammar, logic, and rhetoric. So the, the trivium that Crystal was talking about and how we pursue that really in a very natural way with our children. So that's the idea. So I'm going to mention this resource first and then if you could sort of share any resources you have, mm -hmm. books people could read or, or other resources that might be available that would be an introduction to, mm -hmm. to classical education. So workshop one is called Grammar, Not Just the Parts of Speech. You will learn how naming and knowing build the best foundation for understanding. Workshop two is on logic, all things connected. You will learn how to make connections to lead us towards the true, good, and beautiful. And workshop three, rhetoric, the meeting of minds and hearts. We will explore how sharing information with clarity and charity cultivates community. So I'll put those descriptions and registration link and whatnot in, in our show notes when I haven't developed them yet, but I will. <laughs> I'm really excited to do this with you, actually. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, what what kind of resources would be uh, good 
simple, accessible resources for parents to get mm -hmm. into. Yeah, I, um, I'm just gonna give you a little background here. When I started classical education, I basically started it at the beginning. I didn't know anything about anything. The only reason why I knew classical education is because my husband was studying uh, medieval history in his master's and uh, St. Gregory the Great was a big advocate of classical education. So that was like all I knew, really. Right. So I had gotten a few books that really talked about the practice and I tried to implement all the different practices. And that's where I ended up really um, coming to a point of, of um, frustration in Scotland because I couldn't do it all. And so I was trying to do all of these fruits of classical education or the practices, and it wasn't working because I didn't understand the nature and the purpose. So right. I'm not going to direct people to the practices <laughs> of classical education. If that's really where you want to go, then through the show notes, you can uh, put my email in there. I know some people like to start there, but it's at least to a lot of frustration. I like to start with the nature and the purpose. And so one great essay that I read it's about just under 30 pages long. It is from a Catholic perspective, but it's not, it's not any way impractical or um, does not apply to non-Catholics. So okay. it's called What is Classical Catholic Education by Jonathan Beeson. And I will, I'll get you a link for that. Okay. So you can put it into the show notes. Like uh, something you can read online? Yeah, it's a PDF okay. you can read online. Okay. And he was just a, you know, a classical educator. And he kept getting asked, what is classical education? What is classical education? He put together this 29-page, 30-page essay. And it's really lovely. Okay. And it really helps to see where you want to go really the, the nature and the, and the purpose of classical education. The other one for those of you who are familiar with um, Charlotte Mason, Mason, Karen Glass came out with the book, Consider This. I don't know if you guys have seen it, mm. but it's fantastic. It really mm -hmm. is. And another one that is, again, a really short read is by Christopher Perrin and Dr. Christopher Perrin. And right. he is like he runs classical academic press and it's called an introduction to classical education and again that's just a short pamphlet size not pamphlet by our size but pamphlet by like you know 100 years ago so again about 30 pages andrew kern came out with one as well called classical education that's another good one and if you really want something beautiful <laughs> and it's taken me I, I, when i find a book that is really beautiful I really want to take it in so it's probably taken me four years to read because it's so beautiful because I keep going back and gleaning from the chapter before and gleaning and it's called Beauty in the Word by Stratford Caldicott and that is really really a beautiful vision for education um, like I said I'm a huge advocate of of learning the nature and the purpose right so that the practices can flow out of that now Oftentimes, I think we get nervous and anxious about, well, I believe in this classical education. Let's go. Let's start, right? And I want to start doing something. The greatest thing that you can do is to take five minutes a day and ask yourself and contemplate, what do I know about gymnastics in the terms of, you know, training the body? Mm -hmm. What do I think about that? Five minutes, set your timer, write it down. And then take the next one that we talked about, music education. What do I know about that? What do I think about that? Write it down, five minutes the next day. The next one would be, you know, the, the liberal arts. What do I know about that? Do I know anything? What can I write about it? Just write down something. 
and do that for all the different ones. So we have gymnastics and music education, the liberal arts, philosophy, theology, and all grounded in piety, right? So that's six of them. So you have six days that you can go through these and, and contemplate them for five minutes a day and write them down, come back to them at the end of those six days for 20 minutes and go through what you wrote right. and read about it and say, what, did, what can I draw from this? What questions do I have? What insights can I gain? What paths do I want to pursue? And then from there, you can start finding resources to help you learn more about these things and how to actually make the practices flow out of them. Because mm -hmm. it's not the phonics program per se. It's not the specific math program, though some are better than others. I do acknowledge that. But it is the educator. It's, it's that, the way that we approach. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. I have um, one other quote for you. Yeah. For you. And uh, this is from the Jonathan B. Sensory. Sure. Can I just mention a resource before you go on to your quote and we'll end mm -hmm. with the quote? It's not specifically about classical education, but it is. There's a book put out by the Institute for Excellence in Writing by Andrew Pudua mm -hmm. that's called Linguistic Development Through Poetry Memorization. And mm -hmm. it's a it's a spiral bound book. I believe it even has a DVD that goes with, uh, or it did at some point. But basically, it's a it's a whole bunch of poems at different age ranges that kids can learn to memorize. Right, that's the point of it. the The best part of the book, though, is there's an essay in the front of it on the value of memorization and how that develops the mind of memorizing beautiful language, beautiful language patterns in your brain so that you can learn in, innately beautiful language patterns to speak, to write, to share. The book is worth its price just for the essay in the front of it. Mm. It's a phenomenal uh, reflection on the value of, of memory, mm -hmm. uh, memorizing beautiful things. So, okay, let's end with the quote. Thank you so much for being with us, Crystal. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm very happy to be here, and I, I love just... Uh chatting with anybody that will, you know, talk about classical education. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it. it. So, okay, so this is from Jonathan Beeson and his essay that I had mentioned. Um, the best thing, and again, I'm going to kind of recapture it here, but the best thing that, um, that we can do is to model an active intellectual life. The educator, by her very presence, is the curriculum which is being taught. So we as homeschool moms, we as educators, as the primary educators, really need to take this to heart, right? And Stroud for Call to Cult says this as well. Our call is to evangelize the world, but first we have to evangelize ourselves. Yeah, so thank you. You are the curriculum. Absolutely. <laughs> so get to it, moms. I know. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Crystal. This has been really rich for for all of us and and uh, for our listeners especially. So thank you so much. God bless. And thank I you. will have all this information about the workshops uh, up and running. So good evening, and we will talk soon. Okay. Lovely. Okay. Thank you. Bye, bye, Elizabeth. Good Goodbye. Nice meeting you. Good to meet you.